A reading from the book of Isaiah. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on bare heights and fountains in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together, that they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this, the Holy One of Israel has created it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Reading from Acts, first, uh, chapter 17, starting verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in any way, every way, you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects as a worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own po poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they, they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed among whom were Dionysus, the Ariacabite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do give you thanks and praise. We praise you that death no longer has dominion over Christ, and that we who are in Christ can know that freedom from death and the promise of eternal life. Lord, may we know your joy um, on this morning, and may we um, joyfully um, listen to and learn from your word. And we ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So when I had um, first uh, graduated from college many, uh, many years ago, I um, uh, got a job in Chicago, in the city of Chicago, and moved there. And a friend of mine from high school, who I kept in touch with and, and stayed in contact with during my college years, was also moving to Chicago. I'd just um, gotten a job in the city as well. And so we decided to find an apartment uh, together where we would be roommates. Um, uh, he, um, uh, both of us, wanted to find as cheap of an apartment as possible. We were all about um, you know, um, uh, saving money. Um, and so we found a pretty small apartment. But we figured, well, this will work because uh, my friend Joel is actually a newspaper editor and was working evenings. I was working a normal shift. And so there was actually very little time that we would be in the apartment at the same time. So we're like, well, each of us will kind of have our own apartment and this will work. So we began um, this process of being roommates, and I knew um, before we became roommates that my friend Joel was pretty organized and was a very neat person. Um, I didn't just realize how much this was the case until we lived together, how important it was for him to have everything in its right place all the time and things put away and cleaned. Um, so began this dynamic over a number of months um, where, again, because most of the time we didn't see each other, this was pre-texting, pre-email, we would leave notes for one another. Um, his notes usually were some directive around something that wasn't cleaned correctly, wasn't put in its right place, some mess that was left. Um, my notes were usually along the lines of, get a life, um, get over it. Um, you know, I'm a normal person. Welcome to, uh, to this reality. 
Um, eventually the notes got a little more surly. He would leave notes about how my coffee machine made too much um, noise in the morning when he was in the middle of his sleep cycle and I was just starting my day. I'd suggest to him he could buy me a new coffee machine if that was so important to him. Um, after a number of months, we realized this is not good, right? You know, leaving me notes and then glaring at one another the few times we're in the apartment at the same time. And so we kind of got to the place of mutual toleration, right? How can he relax a little bit? How could I try to be um, more um, clean? Um, how could we, um, you know, forgive one another? Um, and it worked um, for a while. But when we came to the end of our, our lease, as you can imagine, we both decided perhaps a different living situation would be the best um, in the future. Now compare that to when uh, my wife Molly and I got married and we began a home together, right? In the same way, right? Not as extreme as, as Joel and I, but we had to learn how to live together with our um, differences. Um, but of course, we would never have been happy to kind of get to a place of mutual toleration, to just sort of live with those differences, you know, without, you know, hurting each other, right? We knew, right, what we're called to is actually as we experience differences, which of course we did, as we experience tensions and living our lives together, to actually learn from those, to say, okay, there are places where we're different. How do we actually, you know, grow closer through addressing these? through living in those tensions, through actually celebrating the ways that we're different and figuring out how that can make us a stronger team. Well, in our reading today, Jesus calls us to abide in him, right? That means make a home with him, remain in him. And the vision of abiding is not two roommates that, you know, are kind of angry at each other all the time, but learn to get along, right? The vision is actually growth, right? The vision is alignment uh, with Jesus, to become more and more like him. It's significant that in Ephesians 5, right, when Paul talks about marriage and gives, you know, one of the most central teachings around marriage in Scripture, that at the end of that teaching, Paul says, and this is about Christ and his church. Right? Marriage, right, is a picture that ultimately points to the ultimate relationship we're all called to, which is with Jesus. It's a relationship of intimacy. It's a relationship of growth. Right? It's a relationship of abiding. Now, important to note, unlike marriage, where both parties right, need to align more and more with one another, right, in our relationship with Jesus, it's us aligning more and more to him and coming more and more in line with who he calls us to be. But the beautiful thing right, about a relationship with Jesus is the more we align ourselves with him, the more our life reflects who he is, the more we actually become ourselves the more we become truly who he called us to be and we live more and more into our identity. And so I want to consider today this invitation to abide, to abide in Christ. What does that mean? Right? What does that look like on a very practical level to abide in him and to live into this um, powerful and well-known passage? All right, so it begins with Jesus saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Why does he say, I am the true vine? Why, why using, um, again, that imagery of vine, but what does it mean that he is the true vine? And it's helpful for us to know as we read this that that image of vine or vineyard is one that had been used for a long time to speak of the nation of Israel. That was a common metaphor for Israel, that it was like a vineyard or it was like a vine. So actually, Jesus and the disciples, when they went into the temple, they would have seen this, um, this ornate gold vine that was right over the entrance to the temple. Um, the um, historian uh, Josephus, uh, okay, now I have to find the quote. Oh, yeah, he says about it, he called it a marvel of size and artistry. 
Okay, so that was a major symbol, again, that people were very familiar with. There were times in Israel's history where their um, coins would have a vine on them as a symbol of themselves as a nation. But what's interesting, actually, is when we look at the scriptures, and there are numerous scriptures where Israel is compared to a vineyard or to a vine, they're actually always negative. It's kind of surprising that, again, this image of, of you know, um, Israel would be embraced, and yet with the scriptures are always corrective. So, for instance, in Isaiah 5, um, it speaks of, the Lord speaks of a vineyard that he planted, that he cares for, that he loves this vineyard. But then it says this, but when I looked to it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? In other words, I grew this vineyard, I cared for this vineyard in order to bear good fruit and it bore bad fruit, right? And the nation clearly is to Israel, right? I have called you to faithfulness to me and you, are, you have repeatedly turned away. And the fruit that has been born is bad fruit. It says this, so I will let the vineyard go to waste for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. He looked for justice but behold, bloodshed. He planted the vineyard, right? That it would bear justice. Instead, it bears violence and bloodshed and, and of strife with one another. And again, a moving away from the Lord. And yet you have that in Isaiah 5. Yet in Isaiah 4, it speaks of the branch of the Lord that will bring glory to the Lord. The branch of the Lord that will be beautiful. It's one of our um, vigil readings, often read at our Easter vigil service. And so even as it's moaning the, the nation's unfaithfulness, there's a promise, there's one who is coming who will be faithful. We see a similar dynamic in Psalm 80, right? Once again, there's a picture of a vineyard that fails. Disobedient Israel, it's very clear. This is you, basically, Psalm 80 is saying. But then it ends with these words. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man who you have made strong for yourself. So once again, we have an image of a failed vineyard, but then also a promise of one to come who will be faithful, who will honor the Lord. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, right, he is building on that shared knowledge, right, that the people of Israel, and specifically the disciples at this moment hearing this, knew, and they understood, he is saying, I'm faithful, Israel. Right? I am Israel that will remain faithful and true. I am the promised right, coming vine, coming branch that will be completely faithful to the Lord, and you can abide in me. You can be a branch attached to me, the true vine, and you can bear fruit. Right? It's an amazing invitation. Right? You can know faithfulness to the Lord through my faithfulness. Basically, you can benefit, you can grow from my faithfulness so that you too will grow in faithfulness. Now, if you look at verse 2, though, it becomes kind of sobering. Right away, we hear this beautiful invitation to abide in him, right, that comes. And yet he says, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, the Lord, right, the vine dresser, um, the Father, will take away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the first part of that, right, what, is, what does that mean, right? That makes us kind of nervous. It's like, okay, there's an invitation to be a branch, and yet we're told that there are branches that are cut off and thrown away. Right, verse 6 right, gives us a little more um, insight into what he's saying here, where he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Well, clearly here, right, the Lord is speaking of you know, those who don't remain in him. Right? He says, If you remain in me, you'll bear fruit. If you don't remain in me, you will not bear fruit. Right? You will ultimately be cut off. I always think of the verses like this as like, if we're nervous about them, if we read them, we think, I don't want to be cut off. 
Well, that's good, right? Because that means you want to abide in the Lord, right? You're hearing this and saying, I don't want to be a branch that's cut off and does not bear fruit. I want to know the Lord and bear fruit in him, right? The warning there, actually, that Jesus is giving is to those who would say, I don't need to be attached to the Lord, right? Those who in some ways maybe would would want to bear the name Christian and yet um, have no interest in staying with the Lord and seeking him. As I mentioned last week in this um, uh, um, upper room discord, these teachings that take place in this section of the Gospel of John, um, that we need to read these in the context, again, of that final night before Jesus um, went to the cross the next day. Right? And one thing that's shadowing this time is that it's just been revealed by Jesus that Judas will betray him. Right? And Judas actually gets up and leaves. And so they've had actually a picture, sadly, of one who had sought Christ and been part of the disciples who's now basically removed himself from them. Right? Jesus gives him the opportunity to repent and to turn to him in faith. And again, Judas removes himself. So I think that's what he's speaking of, right? Those who perhaps at some point were attached to him that move away from him. So we don't need to be afraid of that, right? But we should take that warning seriously, similar to the, to the promise we heard last week. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is making clear, it's through me that you know the Lord. Don't detach from me, right? But stay attached to me. But there's also the second part of that verse, which also may make us a little nervous. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Right? I don't know much about gardening, but I understand pruning is a cutting away. Right, pruning, again, is an image that we perhaps we say, I don't want to be pruned, right? That doesn't sound pleasant. I'd say, no, it's not, right? There's, there's pruning that can be difficult. I believe here Jesus is speaking of that he works through difficulties. He works through trials, right? The Lord at times may bring us into places, right, where we are stretched, where we actually, we get to the end of ourselves, right? And we find him there, where we experience great suffering, and the Lord works in that. So yes, God does work through pruning. And we see this in so many places in Scripture, right? We see in the book of Hebrews where it talks about the Lord disciplines those he loves. We see it in Psalm 23 even, right? Where the good shepherd, right, brings us into the valley of the shadow of death and is at work even there. Now, I think it's actually as much as we may say, I don't like this idea that God works through pruning, that God actually bears more fruit through times of suffering or times of trial, right? Or ways in which I'm being stretched and having to grow, But the fact of that matter is oftentimes when we are in those times, one sort of temptation we may face is, oh, if I'm struggling, if I'm going through a difficulty, it must mean that the Lord has abandoned me. It must mean that I'm not in the Lord's will. It must mean, right, that something has gone astray. Maybe sometimes that's the case, right? Certainly if we are sinning in some way and experience, you know, trials because of that sin, yeah, then we need to say, oh, this is because sin can bring harm. But oftentimes it may be that the very thing we experience is actually the Lord is using that to grow us. Right? And while the devil may want us to believe, oh, you're suffering because the Lord has rejected you, what the Lord is actually saying is, I'm working in you right now. I'm actually growing you. The reason in some ways you're being stretched in this time, in this season, is actually because I want more fruit. I want more of you, right? I want you to know an abiding in me in new ways. And so, yes, it's sobering to know the Lord may prune us to grow more fruit, but actually when we embrace that, we realize, oh, The Lord is working even through difficult times, and actually he's working because he wants me to grow in him. He wants me to know him in new ways. All right, so we have, again, that very important imagery, right? He is the vine, we're the branches, he's pruning, right? But we are called to remain in him, and we will bear fruit. 
But let's again ask the question, what does it look like to abide, right? What are some images? It's, it's very sort of mystical language, isn't it? Abide, remain, right? Find a home in me. But again, I think oftentimes we wonder, well, practically speaking, what does that look like? And it's helpful then to actually kind of pull out a little bit and look at the whole gospel of John, right? When you see certain words used again and again, right, in a, a, a piece of work, like the gospel of John in a, a, a writing, right, it's helpful to then see themes and understand, oh, I can understand what this word means here because I can see how it's used here. And so again, let's look at a few places where abide is used in the gospel of John. Right, first place is right in chapter one. In the Gospel of John, we have the beautiful prologue that John begins to begins in the first part of John 1. In the second part, we learn about John the Baptist, right? We hear about his ministry, and we hear about a moment where he sees Jesus, and John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And a couple of his disciples hear this, and they say, we're going to follow this guy, right? I mean, if John the Baptist, whom we love and trust, is saying he's the Lamb of God, we want to get to know him. And it's this great moment. It's kind of an awkward moment. It's Andrew and another disciple um, of John the Baptist are following Jesus, right? They're just walking behind him. Jesus turns around and he says, what are you seeking? It's actually the first question. It's the first words we hear Jesus speak in the Gospel of John, which is such a beautiful way, right, to begin the Gospel of John. The first thing you hear, John, the first thing you hear Jesus say is, what are you seeking? Which in a sense, the Gospel of John is asking this. What are we seeking? Right, the disciples are kind of awkward, like, uh, uh, so they say, where are you staying, right? You know, they don't know how to answer the question because they're seeking him, and so they just say, well, where are you staying? Where are you abiding, is what they're asking. And Jesus says, come and see. And we're told they abided with him, right? They stayed with him. They remained with him. Jump forward a few more chapters, John 4. We have the interaction that um, Jesus has with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, if you remember that, where in the course of this conversation with her, Jesus makes it clear, right, that he's the Messiah. And she believes, right? She puts her faith in him. She goes into the village. She tells everyone there that will listen to her, I've met the Messiah. They all come back um, to the well um, with this woman. They come to Jesus and they say, stay with us. Abide with us. And we're told that Jesus stayed with them for two days. Right? Even though he had a mission and a ministry, right, he stays with them. All right, so right at the beginning of John, we see two different examples of abiding in Jesus that are basically encountering him, getting to know him, hearing who he is, right, believing that he's the Messiah, and spending time with him. Right? It's an image of prayer, an image of, again, coming to faith in Jesus and believing that he is who he says he is. And he responds to the invitation, stay with us, and he says, yes, or you can stay with me. That's entering into that promise. If we jump forward then a little bit more, um, to um, John 6. In John 6, Jesus is giving the teaching where he speaks of himself as the bread of life. And he says these words. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And so, you know, I think the first hearers of that were like, what is he talking about? We know actually a lot of people stopped following Jesus because they were so offended by this teaching. But those who continue to follow them and those of us now understand, oh, he's speaking of the Eucharist. He's speaking of communion. And of course, the night that Jesus gave the teaching on, that we have in John 15 was the night that he instituted the Lord's Supper. Right? And I think we should see the connections. Right? He's speaking about a vine and the fruit of the vine, grapes, right? We know wine comes from grapes. I think there are connections there with communion. And again, it's one of the ways that we see elsewhere in the Gospel of John that we abide in Jesus is as we receive his body and his blood and the bread and wine of communion. 
That's significant as we think about that. Of course, what we see is this happened in the church from the very beginning is communion is celebrated in community, right? Not that we can't maybe, you know, in special circumstances bring communion to someone in the hospital or something like that. But in general, right, whenever we celebrate the Eucharist, we do so as a group together. And so one of the ways we abide in Jesus, yes, is through receiving communion, but through coming together as a community, through seeking him together, through worshiping him together. Jump then to John 8. John 8, again, Jesus is giving another teaching, and it says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So how, what's another way to abide? Through learning the word. Right? Jesus is speaking of his teachings, certainly, right? but we understand that all the word, all the scriptures ultimately points to Jesus and shines a light on him and glorifies him. So as we learn God's word, as we study God's word, as we meditate on God's word, as we discuss God's word together, we are abiding in Christ. And then finally, we have this passage where Jesus says right, more than once, um, if you obey my commandments, you abide in me. So how do you abide? Through obedience. Through obeying me. Right? And again, when we hear about Jesus' commandments, certainly that means the things that Jesus taught in the Gospels. Right? But we understand, again, all the word points to Jesus. All the commandments of the word ultimately are fulfilled right, in Christ. As we obey those commandments, we honor him and we abide in him. Now, yes, many of the commandments of scriptures we need to understand in context and understand how they apply to us today. But again, all scripture ultimately points towards Christ. Now, that can be a little overwhelming. Okay, the way I abide in Jesus is obeying all the commandments. We may feel like, how do, I, how do I do that, right? There's so many commandments. But keep in mind, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, there are two, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the other commandments hang on these, is what he said. And when we hear, you abide in me through obeying my commandments, we start with, Lord, grow me in loving you, grow me in loving my neighbor. And not long after this, a little later in John 15, Jesus says, right, love one another as I have loved you. So as we seek to love one another as Christ has loved us, we are obeying the commandments. This came out in our Ten Commandments series, if you were with us, that we did during Epiphany and Lent. As we were studying the Ten Commandments, we came again and again. This is about honoring people and about honoring God. This is how we abide. So again, what does it mean to abide in Jesus, right? To learn from him, to put our faith in him, prayer, to learn his word, to celebrate together, to come together as a community, to receive the Eucharist, to receive baptism, and to obey, and to help one another obey. So then what does the fruit look like, right? If this is the calling to, to abide, what does it look like to bear fruit? Now again, as we read the passage, it's clear we shouldn't focus on the fruit, right? Jesus is saying, focus on me, right? Abide in me, learn from me, remain with me. But he is saying, as you do that, fruit will follow, and it's good to want to bear fruit, right? It's right that we should pray, Lord, bear fruit through me, your servant. Help me to abide in you so that I see fruit. And what does this fruit look like? Maybe this is rather obvious, right? But a grapevine produces grapes. Um, I looked up this week. I'm like, what fruits come from um, vines? I found out passion fruit comes from vines. So if you ever saw a passion fruit um, vine, which I don't think we see many of those um, in Minnesota, but they bear passion fruit. So then if we ask the question, well, what does a Jesus vine bear? Well, Jesus fruit, right? Faithfulness fruit, right? The fruit obviously is going to look like Jesus. So it's no surprise, right? When we read in Galatians about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, right? Faithfulness, goodness, kindness, patience, self-control, gentleness, right? That all those qualities were like, 
Well, that's Jesus, right? Those are descriptions of who Jesus is, right? He is patient. He is kind. He is good. He is full of joy. And that's the fruit that, again, is born from abiding in him, right? When we read about the fruit of the Spirit, that comes from abiding. And we know as we abide in him that this fruit will come. And again, we're the body of Christ. We're called to the mission of Christ, to bear fruit in Christ, right? To bear fruit that comes from abiding in him is loving those that he loved, right? The least of these, right? Is, is seeking justice, seeking to make him known. All those things are the fruit that comes from it. And specifically, one other fruit that he, he I believe, is speaking of there in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so another fruit actually is answered prayer. Um, as we abide in the Lord, as we ask, um, uh, out of that place of abiding, we will receive answers to that prayer. Now, again, let me just acknowledge, that's a challenging verse, right? And it almost sounds almost too open, right? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, right? I mean, that sounds like, kind of like a genie. Like, like, should Jesus be saying, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you? But again, we have to read this in the context of an invitation to abide. Align yourself with me. Grow in relationship with me, and as you grow in relationship with me, what you ask will be in alignment with what I want to do. When I was um, young, when I was a child, I, ha I have and still have a younger sister, and she would regularly come to me and say, Christian, if I ask you a question, do you promise to say yes? Um, and of course, I would say, no way. Are you kidding? You're going to ask me for something I don't want to give you. You're going to ask me to do something, right? It didn't, she, she still did it all the time, right? Never once. She was just waiting for that one time that I'd be like, okay. And then she could ask her question, her request, and I had to say yes. Um, now, imagine that Molly, my wife, came to me and said, hey, if I ask you a question, do you promise to say yes? That would be weird. I'd be like, um, just ask me the question. Like, why are you, you know, preceding it with that? But if Molly did that, I'd probably say, I mean, I assume I'd say, of course. If you're saying that there's something you want to ask of me and you really want me to say yes, then I feel very confident that I can say yes to that. Why? Because again, we've you know, lived together, we've sought to align ourselves and, and put our desires, we talk about the things we want together, we talk about our goals together, right? We abide with one another. And so I hope, and we continue to grow in, may the things we want, right, be similar. That's a goal we have. And Jesus is saying, abide in me, continue to align yourself with me. Now, again, I actually think it's a lifelong process of alignment, right? And I think throughout life, we're going to find we're asking for things that are not answered in the way we want them answered. But I believe as we grow in the Lord, we realize more and more, oh, my deepest desires actually are aligning more and more with what he's doing in the world and what he's doing in my life. So he is the vine, the true vine. And the true vine invites us, abide in me. Be a branch in me. Continue to abide in me. Yes, at times you will be pruned, but that's because I want more fruit from you. I want you to bear fruit, the Lord says to us. I want you to know joy, that your joy may be full. Um, as we uh, close, oftentimes I close um, in prayer, but I actually want us all um, to pray together um, in closing. Um, if you turn to page six of your bulletin, um, there at the top, Many of you know, but that prayer is called a collect. Um, that is the collect of the day. And I think that collect, um, that prayer is a wonderful response um, to this passage and to Jesus' invitation to abide. Um, so we'll stand in a minute for the Nicene Creed, but let's just stand now. And again, I'll say let us pray, and then let's pray together in unison um, that prayer at the top of page six. Let us pray. Oh God, you have prepared for those who love you 
such good things as surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.